So last week we started a, a series called Soul Care. And my concern uh, going into that was that there's a lot of things happening for people. We're talk, we talk about the goodness of God. We talk about um, how God has done things physically for people to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. Um, but I began to see and run into people, um, friends of mine, people in this church, hear stories outside of this church, that the reality is we're not all doing well, you know? And there's this verse in 3 John, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, that's very powerful that I'll share with you, that I shared last week. John writes to his dear friend Gaius, and he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that's the physical, and that all may go well with you. And I believe you could tie that to the spiritual, maybe not. Uh, even as your soul is getting along well. He's writing to this guy, Gaius. And he's saying that, you know, it, it's my prayer. I believe it's God's will that things go good with you. That things go good with you. Just like things are going good with your soul. And if, if we were to stop for a moment and take a poll of every person in this room, which we won't do. And ask the question, how is your soul doing? Your mind, your will, your emotions. How are you doing? No, really. Because we always get that first wave of answers. Eh, pretty good. No, no, really. How are you doing? And some could honestly answer good. And some, some could honestly respond by saying, I'm struggling. I'm broken. I, I'm hurting. And, and this verse... Amongst, uh, along with other verses, point to the reality that we are made up of, of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. You see, the, the body provides us uh, with world consciousness, right? I mean, we feel, we touch. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's a physical attribute. Uh, and, and the spirit provides us with God consciousness, Right? Our spirit, the spirit within us, comes alive when we're made new in Christ Jesus. And the soul provides self-consciousness. And the reality is, it, I, I wish it were true, but not a lot of us, or maybe not all of us, could say that our soul is getting along well, like this guy Gaius was. You know? And so I just felt so strongly on my heart, this was not part of uh, the long-term plan. I try and do uh, sermon planning for months ahead of time, and, but I just felt like the Lord was leading us to address and talk about an issue that can help people with their souls. So today I want to talk to you um, in this series with a message called, You Are Not Losing the Battle. Amen. You Are Not Losing the Battle. And maybe your very mouth has uttered those words, I'm losing this battle. I, I'm not, this is not good. And I want to focus, um, once again, this message on in the realm of depression. Now, when you hear that word, you may think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a depressed person. I'm not depressed. But the reality is all of us, in some way, shape, or form, have depressed thoughts. We, you know, we, we our emotions are like a roller coaster. They're all over the place. And um, I, I want to talk to you about God's answer to that. I, I believe that God has, left, has not left us without an answer to address every situation that we'll ever face in life. And it, amazingly, it's found right here in this word. It's not like some huge mystery. Um, and, and so uh, I do want to say this, though. Even though depression can touch everyone in one, sh one way, shape, or form, I don't stand before you pretending to be some expert. I'm not a doctor, um, and I'm in no way, shape, or form here to belittle anyone who is in the depths of depression or has been there, um, uh, you know, has had struggles in their lives. Um, but I want to share with you what I see in the Word of God. And I believe this can help. This can help anyone. And 
the reality is all of us probably know someone who struggles. Anxiety, depression, um, negative thoughts, things that are, uh, that are hard to deal with. And so I, I believe God provides answers, but I'm also, I also just want to be very clear that there, I believe in other methods too, you know, or additional methods. Because I would be first, the first to tell you, go see a doctor, you know. Uh, go see a doctor. Get an assessment from a doctor and see what they have to say. We, a lot of times, depression and depressed thoughts can come as a result of experiences that we go through. There's other times, though, that it's, you know, uh, you could have chemical imbalances, issues related to the, the, the molecular structure of, of what's going on inside of you, inside of your brain, the thoughts and all those things. And there's medication for that. Unfortunately, medication doesn't necessarily solve the problem. It just helps you cope in the midst of the problem. You understand? And so uh, depression, many times, if you look up some uh, corollary words to describe it, is also described as utter hopelessness. Like there's no hope. You can't find hope in, in a given situation, given situation or in life in general. You know, there's just, just no hope. You, no matter where you look, it just seems like there's nothing there that can help you. And I want to say that in the Bible, we find people going through things that I would sort of label as depressive thoughts or depressed thoughts. If we look at Psalm 42, verse 3, starting in verse 3, um, this, this is written by the sons of Korah. And this is one of the famous psalms that it talks about, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you. Um, but if you look at verse 3, that's verses 1 and 2, it talks about how this person is hungering and pursuing God. And it seems very upbeat and uplifting because, uh, and we relate to that because many times, you know, we, we find ourselves hungering for God and, and wanting to encounter God and experience God in our lives. But in verse 3... It says, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. And I want to just, you might want to, if you have a paper Bible in front of you, um, you might want to circle those words, I remember. Because there's a reflection to the past and the thoughts about how it used to be for this person. How it used to be. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Well somehow, some way, obviously this individual doesn't have access to the, to the uh, house of God anymore. And it's not like it used to be. For this individual. And because of that. There's tears. There's longing. There's desire. There's remembering for this person. And then verse 5 it says this. And this is an amazing question. Why my soul. Are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And then you know. You ever ask yourself. You talk to yourself. You know you talk to yourself. Don't tell people you do but. You, you ask yourself a question, then you answer the question, or you give yourself a response. Uh, in essence, the psalmist is saying, what in the world is going on within, with me? What is happening to me? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul, and disturbed? Put your hope in God. He gives himself the answer. He reminds himself. Look to God. Get, get hope back. It may be hopeless now. It may seem hopeless. But get your hope back by pursuing God. For I will yet praise him. I love that declaration. It's going to happen again. My Savior and my God. I will yet praise him. And, and so this, this person is saying, what, what in the world is happening to me? That's a good question. It's a good, good question and actually a good, good thing to communicate because... Uh, what is being said is something's wrong. 
Something's going on inside of me. I don't like it. It's not normal. It's not good. And what I like about this is this thought, this concern is being expressed. It's healthy to begin to express um, the things that are going on inside of us. So, so this individual, guy, girl, uh, it says sons of course, so I'm assuming it's a guy, um, is, is, is thinking about how it used to be and realizing it's not like that anymore. And these, these negative, these concerning thoughts are coming out to the point where he's weeping. He said, my tears have been my food day and night. I mean, this person's not eating. This person's weeping. Um, it, it's just, just an overwhelming um, display of emotion because this guy's longing for what used to be and is not now. You understand? And what's going on within me? I, I love the expression. Um, and so he's, he's really thinking, uh, thinking about stuff and one of the core issues of depression is our thinking. I want to say that. Because so much of this battle is about the mind and the thoughts and what happens with those thoughts. Because whatever happens in your head, that's your reality. It doesn't matter what people tell you. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. That is your reality. The thoughts that are flowing through, that you, that you think on, that you ponder, that is your reality. So... Um, I love that the sons of Korah are expressing these, these thoughts out loud to saying something is wrong. And I began to think about this, that, you know, how we deal with our thoughts is so very important. It's so very important. You know, some of us stuff our thoughts down. We just think if we can bury them enough, they'll go away. They'll disappear. The deeper I could bury them and hide them, they'll go away. And some of us aren't good at stuffing them down, but we're better at exploding, you know? We just, we have these thoughts and we just, we attack somebody who we love, you know? We, we're, we're verbal, we're aggressive, we're fr- and it's just an expression of frustration, right? You know, so, so we're not burying them, but, but let me just tell you something about our thoughts and how we deal with them. I want to use this balloon uh, as an example, you know, because... There's a few different ways that we could deal with our thoughts. And then there's one really good way. Okay? Really good way. So, you know, just, just maybe you're a barrier. Maybe you, 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 you bury your thoughts. You, you know, someone walks all over you and you're like, and you just bury your thought, you know, and it's, it's buried and it's there, it's down inside. And, and you're pretty good at hiding it. You could smile when you need to smile and you could... You know, say the right things when you need to write, say the right things. But you know something inside of you got something against that person because of what they said or did, right? You know? And then, you know, something happens uh, again some other time with some other individual. And, you know, you're, you're starting to, your thoughts, they're struggling. And once again, you bury, you bury it. And you're just like, it'll go away. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to put it aside, um, you know. And it'll just go away eventually. And, and so we bury, bury, bury like this. And eventually, our, you know, our heart is filled with stuff. It's hurt. It's hurts. It's hurtful. It's angry, you know. Um, you know, we're, we're carrying stuff around. Our minds, our thoughts are, are racing when we get around those people. Or whenever something just triggers, uh, triggers us to think about that moment, that moment of hurt, that moment of someone saying something to us, that moment where something happened to us, you know. And one of the greatest fears that we all have is that eventually, you know, our, our balloon's going to pop. Because when it does, all hell's going to break loose. You understand? And it's not going to be good. It's going to be ugly. But eventually, the more we stuff it, ultimately, it's going to pop. Yes, the pastor has a knife on stage. All right. So, so... So whether, whether, whether there's this, this emotional explosion from us because we've buried, 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 or this is, there's an immediate emotional explosion because we, you know, we're, we're already walking wounded, right? We're the walking wounded, and uh, you know, we, just, we just 
throw up on everyone around us, you know? We just, maybe that's not the most, uh, the best. That's probably a little bit too picturesque, right, you know? Okay, yeah. But nevertheless, I want to say that what we saw in this verse in Psalms was this guy beginning to speak to his situation, and he's expressing his situation. He's sort of like self-talking, talking to God, giving him, a, a, answering his own question, and also trying to redirect his thoughts to say, wait a second, you know, yeah, my soul is downcast. Yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm hurting, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue God. And, and maybe, maybe this was a public thing, because when you think about it, these are psalms, which means songs, and this this person was probably singing this song to help encourage himself um, to go through the situation he was going through. I want to say that, that having people around us and talking about our situation is way better than burying it. Um, but I also want to say this, that the best yet is taking it to God. Let me tell you something. Jesus, we, we cannot fathom what he went through. We can read about it. We can quote it. We can pretend to know about it. The reality is the depths of despair, of abandonment, of brokenness, of expressing love and receiving hatred, of people shaking their fists at him, probably some of them the very people he healed, some of them the very people that he taught, some of the very people that he expressed love to. The closest ones, three and a half years, you know, uh, abandoning him, denying him, betraying him, and carrying the weight of the world, the sins of the world on his shoulders. How did he cope day by day? Think about this. Not only from a, a, a humanistic perspective, not only from how humans treated him, but you got to know that everything hell had to throw at him, they did. Hell did. You understand this? And I want to say to you that he found a way. He didn't come uh, and do things, do this in, in a, from a God perspective. He did it from a human perspective to show us that this is doable. You can survive. You, you can succeed. You can still move toward victory in your life. What did he do? He spent time with the Father. He didn't bury it. He cast it. Like he tells us to do, cast all your cares on me. Why do you carry your cares? Why why are you carrying these thoughts, these things that weigh you down? He said, cast them to me. My burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want it easy? I mean, this, this is a good starting point, is beginning to talk these things through with God and learn to respond the way he responds. I, could, I, I intended to preach a whole message on what I'm going to share in the next 30 seconds, okay? Here it is. People tell me I had a panic attack, I'm, my anxiety is high, this, that, the other. I mean, the magic bullet. Paul writes, um, Paul writes to the Philippians, he said, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Right? Be anxious for nothing. I'm just going to butcher this quote up right now because I don't have it memorized verbatim, but... It says, but with prayers and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, anxiety or peace, anxiety or peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I will say this, either God is telling you the truth or he's lying. You've got to conclude what it is. You can't say that doesn't, it may work for that person over there, but it doesn't work for me. Well, I would say if it doesn't have the potential of working for everybody, uh, there's something wrong there. I believe that what, what Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has the potential to help every person when we begin to offer thanks to God, praise to God, prayer to God. And we, we exchange anxiety. He says, don't be anxious. Don't let anything make you anxious. Now, that, he's not saying you should never have an anxious thought. 
He's not saying you shouldn't have things that come your way that have the potential to make you anxious, but you don't have to stay there. I believe the word of God works. I I believe it. I I believe it. And, And I believe it will work for you. If you're anxious, begin to get alone with God and do what he says about anxiety. He promises to help you. It says the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's like, you know, in modern language, that peace will blow your mind. That kind of peace will, you know, it'll wipe out anxiety. And please understand, I am not here to make someone feel bad because they're struggling with these thoughts. I'm here to help you. I feel like it's God's desire to help you in this season. And so, with that said, I want to look, as I promised last week, at a chapter in 1 Kings chapter 19, documenting this guy named Elijah's life, or at least a portion of his life. I like Elijah a lot because the Bible says in in the book of James that he's a man just like us. Similar passions, similar struggles, similar, you know, mentality. And then it goes on to say how powerful he was. But it starts off by saying, you know, you want to look at a, a normal, everyday person in the Bible? Look at Elijah. Because he has the same stuff going on in his, he had the same stuff going on in his life that you do yours. He's faced the same pressures, the same struggles, the same, uh, you know, the same mountaintop experiences, the same... The same everything. He's just like you and me. I I like Elijah for that. Um, And so I want to talk to you in looking at his story in chapter 19 about um, the common triggers that all of us have the potential of facing um, in everyday life that can influence our negative thinking. And negative thinking can lead to things like anxiety and depression. All right? So I, I really want to land on this concept that It is about our thinking. You know, there's outside, uh, last week I said, there's there's circumstances that distract our focus from God, right? There's outside circumstances, and they trigger something in us, and it's what we do with that something in us that determines, do we move toward victory or do we move toward depression? And so here, Elijah, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. from 1 Kings 19 to you. And it starts off in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab, which was the king in Israel, Ahab told Jezebel, who was his wife and a very evil woman, everything. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a, me- sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I I do not make your life like that of one of them. Meaning, you killed my prophets, the prophets of Baal, that same thing's going to happen to you by tomorrow. So there's this death threat on his life now. And verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. (laughs) He was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, which was a safer place, he left his servant there, and while, him, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He wanted to die. He said, I had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over his coals, Baked over hot coals, sorry, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord, verse 7, came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He reached Horeb the mountain of God. And I want to talk to you very quickly about some common triggers that influence our negative thinking. The first one 
The Bible says that Elijah was afraid. You know, Elijah was afraid. He, the first one to me would be fear because Elijah begins to run for his life from this woman Jezebel's threat. He's running for his life. He's afraid. And, you know, i got a question. How in the world does this man, who is so powerful, get so fearful over the threats of this woman Jezebel? I mean, this guy, the chapter before and chapters before, was, was so amazingly powerful and, uh, you know, just used by God. He, in the midst of a drought, which he, you know, through God's command, called for, he said it's not going to rain on this land for two and a half years. And this whole, this whole uh, purpose was to get Ahab and Jezebel to turn back to God, right? So he calls for a famine, a famine's in the land, and, and he sent to this woman, and miraculously, he, he uh, uh, through the power of God, is, is providing oil and flour for her. It's just multiplying in jars, I mean, it's just this miracle, and they live. And then finally her son dies, and he raises him back to life. And then he challenges these prophets of Baal. Baal was a, 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 a god that the people, especially Ahab and Jezebel, were, uh, were leading the people to worship. And he was challenging the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtaroth. There was 850 of them. He called them to this mountain. Uh, because the people were really confused. They, they didn't know who to worship. Do we worship the one true God that the Israelites forever worship? Or do we worship these, this Baal and Ashtaroth? And so Elijah calls for this showdown. And on, this to- on the top of the mountain, he says, If your God answers by fire and consumes this ox, this sacrifice, then he is God. But if my God answers by fire and consumes this sacrifice on the altar, then My God is God. Well, wouldn't you know it, Elijah's God, the one true God, Jehovah, the one we worship, answered by fire. And after that, Elijah had all these false prophets killed. Elijah then goes and calls for rain. And then after two and a half years, it begins to rain again. This man, it even tells us in James chapter 5, that he asked God to stop the rain and it stopped raining. And then he called for rain and it rained. And he's a guy just like you and me, you know? I mean, some of you aren't guys, but you understand what I'm saying. He's a normal person, just like you and me. Uh, this guy was powerful, but he was overcome by fear. And I just think it's odd that Elijah, after all this miraculous intervention from God, doesn't trust God to protect his life. I think it's amazing, you know? And, and, and the reality is that... Um, we, we could all get fearful. Fear is a trigger. Fear is a trigger. We, we could have fears. And, and we get fearful. It's because our self-conscious is bigger than our God-conscious. And so I would say if we focus on our God and God's ability and His greatness and not our fears, perfect love can overcome that fear. That's what the Bible tells us, right? God's perfect love can, can help us overcome that fear. And so um, here's in verse, verse uh, 6 of Psalm 118, there's a powerful statement related to fear. Do you know that fear, do not fear, is the number one command in all the Bible? Do not fear. You want to look up uh, command, commands in the Bible? This one is number one. It's repeated so many times. In essence, it's God saying, don't worry about it. I got it. Don't fear. You don't need to be fearful. Trust. Trust me. I've got this. Psalm 118, verse 6. It says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. You see, when we begin to take God's word at heart, and we know that that God is bigger than whatever fear it is out there, God is more able to overwhelm that fear We just begin to focus on God, and he's near us. He's with us. He can help quiet or calm that fear in our lives. That's our God. And so we don't want our spirit to take over. Uh, We we don't want our our, uh, God-conscious 
um, to be overtaken by fear. We want our, our spirit to overtake our, our self-conscious, our fear, so that we don't have to worry. Amen? We don't have to be caught in worry. So fear is one of the triggers. And, and Elijah was overwhelmed by fear. The Bible says that he was afraid and he ran. Uh, the second one is this, failure. Now, you, you, you have to look a little deeper. It's not like directly addressed. But a lot of commentators believe that Elijah's frustration, why he said, I'm no better than my ancestors, just take my life, was a lot, a lot of commentators believe that his hope was that he would restore Israel to the worship of the one true God. And he failed. He failed. I mean, after this great showdown and God shows up and the people are crying out, God is the one true God. I mean, they're crying out. And yet Ahab, we don't know if he was moved. We don't know if his heart was moved. But he goes back to Jezebel. And she's like, I'm going to kill that guy. He took out my prophet. I'm going to kill that guy. You go tell him by tomorrow he's going to be just like one of those prophets that he had had killed. Ahab was a witness to this monumental event. But Jezebel wasn't there, apparently. And Ahab could have been moved, but Jezebel rose up. And, and because of this, Elijah gets this threat. Not only does he respond in fear, but he responds with a sense of failure. Like, I've failed like everyone else. Our people are not going to be turned back to God. Our leaders are not turned back to God. And sometimes we get caught up in this thing where we feel so beaten down when we fail. I used to, you know, uh, uh, my upbringing, I sort of became, uh, just by virtue of some experiences in my life, um, one that was a people pleaser. Like, I just wanted people to like me, to, you know, look out for me, to tell me how amazing of a job I did or how good I was and all this stuff. And, and so when that wasn't happened, when that didn't happen, I perceived myself as a failure. You know, I didn't have grace for my, my own personal failures. I beat myself up. And when we fail, one of the problems that, um, that we, we continue to walk out is the fact that we don't forgive ourselves. You know, it, it's so important to be quick to forgive ourselves. You know, pick up the pieces and move on. Forgive others. Be kind and gracious to other people. You know, how we deal with our thoughts is forgiving ourselves, forgive others. Let go, like my wife was saying earlier, let go of bitterness and the things that, um, you know, just can plague our thoughts because we constantly think about what that person did or how big of a mistake we, we made. And we've just got to let that go. Forgiveness is such a huge thing in the kingdom of God, you know? Don't, don't walk around with bitterness. Don't let your life be ruled by being offended at people or quickly offended by people. Um, and also, just, just forgive, forgive yourself. Move, move on. See, um, failure can sort of provoke this, this form of, um, of self-hatred and things like that. It says in Proverbs 24, it says this, powerful verse. Verse 16, it says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. That to me says, give yourself some grace. And so the perception here is that Elijah was just feeling beat down as a failure. He, did all, he brought it all. He brought his A game. He did everything he could. He took a step of faith. He was like, he was very edgy in what he did. Never been done in the history of the world. What he did. And yet, it didn't, it didn't, uh, the outcome didn't change or happen the way he expected. And I think also, just as a, as a note in closing out this, this concept of failure, is sometimes things don't happen the way we expect them to. Sometimes God doesn't show up when or how we expect him to. And because of that, we just perceive like, you know... Uh, my step of faith or my God, he's, you know, it's just, it's just shrouded in 
this, this idea of failure, like, you know, I, I, I stepped out in faith. I prayed for that person. I stepped out in faith. I asked for forgiveness. I, you know, I stepped out in faith. I did what I thought God was asking me to do. And it doesn't happen the way, uh, the response of what you're stepping out in faith doesn't happen the way you expect it to. And you perceive failure. Listen to me. You don't, you, you, your expectation does not determine how God moves. You just got to trust God. You have to trust God. Maybe he's testing you and you passed the test because you stepped out. But you're, you're looking at yourself as a failure because that person didn't respond or didn't get healed or, or uh, didn't forgive the way you express forgiveness. You just got to deal with you. Right? And we've got to lay down our expectations for people and for God. We cannot box him in. He is moving. And his promise is that he works everything out for the good of those who love him. Everything. He is on the move and he's working for you on your behalf. And I just want to say, you know, all of heaven is for you. All of heaven is on your side. You know, when, when we compare what God brings to the table and what the enemy brings to the table, we make the enemy way too big. I mean, he's a created being. These are fallen angels. He's a created being. He's not more powerful than the God we serve. You understand? So fear, failure, insecurity. I will talk about this more in coming weeks. But Elijah was very insecure. Very insecure. His self-esteem was low. Um, You know, he looked at his situation as hopeless. He looked at his life as fruitless. He had negative expectations about the future, and he really didn't uh, have, keep in mind the perspective of who God was and who he was. He didn't. You know, he, he was able to trust God for great things. You know, um, like I said, at the widow's house, Mount Carmel, with this, this showdown, all these amazing things, calling for rain, calling for famine, God showing up powerfully And yet his faith was overwhelmed by Jezebel's threats. And what our goal here is, is to help you rise up, to be above the things that could tear you down, to be mature in your faith, to have your identity solidified, you know, to know who you are in God and who God is in you. Because he's made greatness. There's greatness sitting in this room. And yet we we see hints of insecurity in Elijah's life. He saw, even though he saw great displays of God's power, he saw Jezebel's ability to destroy him as greater than God's power working through him. That to me is, he's just, he's just insecure. He's, he's lacking some identity things that would help him rise above those situations. And um, even though Elijah was in touch with his feelings, he was not in touch with reality. And let me tell you something. When, when, you, when you're insecure, when your self-esteem is low, re- your reality is your thoughts. Again, you know, your feelings drive how you feel about your life and your future. And that's, that's like a perfect picture of Elijah. And your reality gets skewed by what you're thinking, what you're thinking on, what you're spending your uh, focus on. And we got to raise, raise up, you know, the spirit of God in us um, deals with our God consciousness. And our God consciousness is big and powerful and amazing when we focus on him. Amen? So um, he, he, was, uh, he had some insecurity issues. I love this verse in Romans 8. It says this. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Why do I share that? Because you've been adopted as a son or daughter into God's family. And let me tell you about a father that has willingly brought you in. You're not a mistake. You know, you didn't miss the boat. He loves you. He's your father. He cares about you. He's going to protect you. He's going to come through for you. He's going to show up. That is the foundation of our identity, that we have a good father. We have a father that loves us, that cares about us. That's the foundation 
of our identity. He cared so much that he sent his son to lay down his life for us. Um, Another trigger to me is isolation. A lot of times, and we see this in Elijah's life, a lot of times, uh, and he did exactly what we would do when we're feeling depressed. We would run and hide and not want people around us. That's what he did. He ran out of fear, and then he left his servant, and he was all alone. And let me tell you something. He was all alone in his mind way before he was all alone in this moment. I cannot tell you how many times, at least three I counted, that he said, I'm the only one left. He was all alone in his mind. He'd been abandoned. There's no one there to stand with him. There's no one there to talk to. There's no one there to care for him. And isolation is a huge trigger for these kind of thoughts. And we want to we provide that solution for you, that you're around people that love you and care for you and are there to, with the purpose of ministering to you, hearing your story, you know? Um, so he isolates himself. And the last one I'll share with you here real quick is this. Actually, you know what? I just, I just want to reiterate this isolation thing. Don't be alone. You don't have to be alone. It's good to have people around you that you can freely and willingly trust to hear your good, bad, and ugly. Not that they're going to run to the next person and share your dirt with everyone, but you trust them because they've demonstrated trustworthiness. Right? And they're there praying for you, encouraging you, helping you. Isolation is such a, a lonely, horrible place to be. Get people around you. I, I know when people are struggling, one of the key things they do is cut people off around them. Close friends, people they've known all their lives, they just cut them off. They, there's no communication or minimal communication. The one-word answer, you, I know you guys never got that from like uh, texts or conversation. Hey, how you doing? Good. Yeah, I'm good. And, I mean, they just cut people off, and they don't, they don't want to be open. And that's, that's a big sign to me when people do that, that, you know, there's something going on inside. And we care for you. We care for your soul. We want the best for you. Here's the last thought related to some of the triggers that um, begin to spark or are catalysts for um, negative thoughts in a person's life is exhaustion. You know, I know people that struggle with sleep. I know people that um, it's very hard for them. Elijah was exhausted. He was exhausted. He, he you know, he traveled. He's, he had this, this huge monumental moment on Mount Carmel. And now he's running for his life. And he's exhausted spiritually. He's exhausted physically. He's exhausted emotionally. I mean, he's just worn out. And let me just say something to you. There are times that our minds get tired, right? And in those moments, it doesn't matter how good of a Christian you are. It doesn't matter how many verses of the Bible you have memorized. It doesn't matter how many friends you have around you. When you're, when you're, or how many times you've been in church this last month. When you're emotionally drained, when your mind is tired, when your soul is empty. Listen to me. There's a problem there. You can't fill a bucket with a hole in it. We need to find ways to get healing. And it's not by running, by isolating, by continuing to go and go and go and not being refreshed. We need to find healing from God. And he so freely offers that. We we need to trust him. And I just want to say... Um, how powerful this, the story goes on, but where I ended it, it's so powerful. The great tension that we have as Christians is that it's very hard for us to tell people that we're struggling. You know? It's very hard. It's very humbling. Because, you know, there has been a way made for us to be in victory. And we know it, but we're not. You know? And like I said last week, it's okay to not be okay. It's part of the process. It's part of the journey. But don't give up there. 
Don't, don't quit there. That's not your, your stopping point. Don't stop there. In Proverbs 3, just related to rest. I mean, God built into his whole cycle of the calendar this one whole day of rest, you know? That's for emotional, physical, and spiritual rest, the Sabbath. It says in Proverbs 24, excuse me, Proverbs 3.24, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And some of you just need to cling to that verse and say, well, my sweet hasn't been sleep. I've been struggling. And just begin to declare that, declare that verse over you. This is God's promise. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, pray it. I'm going to declare it until it's my reality. It's faith that connects us to God's promise, right, and our reality. It connects our reality to God's promise. It's faith, so we, we need to go after it until it's something we live in, something that's real to us. Now, some of us, you know, I mean, we're trying to learn these deep truths of the Word of God and theology and this and that and this and that. One of the things I would encourage you to do is take some of the most simple verses and just make it yours until it's your reality. You know, just believe God for it. God, I'm asking, I've been asking you, and I'm asking you, I, I need more power. You told me you'd give me more power. Just go after him until you get that more power, right? Right? I've been asking you for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just keep going after it until it's, it's yours, you know? Some of the simplest things, we, we know them, but we're not living in them. And I would just challenge you, start to believe God to live in them. And go after it until you are living in it, right? All right. So this whole passage ends with this right here. The angel of the Lord comes to strengthen him. And this is very significant and powerful. I'm closing now, okay? The angel of the Lord, he's exhausted. He's frustrated. He feels like a failure. He hates himself. He's suicidal, you know, People who look him in the face, I mean, they'd be cheering him on for the great victory, but they wouldn't know inside how much he hates himself. Doesn't want to live. He throws in the towel and says, God, I have had enough. I don't want any of this anymore. Just take my life. And you know, interestingly, God doesn't give him what he asked for. He didn't give him what he asked for. But he sent an angel to help him. He sent an angel to bring healing to him. He sent an angel to sustain him. You see, I bet you Elijah would have never thought this was God's answer. You know? And sometimes that angel would be in the form of a person, a friend, a neighbor, a loved one. Someone sitting next to you in church. God sends people to encourage and strengthen and refresh us. But I want to point something out very powerful. Even though God did this little barbecue right there, brought him some hot, hot pancakes or something like that, Elijah had to feed himself. That's, that's powerful. You need to think on that for a minute. Because we want this boom, this, this miracle thing happening and everything's fixed. But there was something Elijah had to do. And you want to know something else? Even after Elijah was fed and uh, nourished, he went back to sleep. And the angel came back to feed him again. Now, I, I want to just transition from the natural feeding and water to the spiritual. What happened in those moments was, I believe the first, first time the angel came, it was to take care of his past and to heal his broken heart and, you know, re-strengthen him again because he had been weakened by uh, his expectations and his sense of failure and the fear and, and all this stuff. I believe God came and said, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of you. And he was nourished and refreshed. But then he came again and he said, this is to sustain you on your journey ahead. Let me tell you something. It is not over for you. It's not over for you. 
It doesn't end here. The battle you've been fighting, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through because you're not going to lose this battle. God will give you exactly what you need to move you ahead in life. He's got a journey ahead for you. He's got a journey ahead for you. So he'll come and bring healing to to you in this moment. But he'll also come and give you what you need to be successful ahead of you. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close here with a prayer. Our God is amazing. Our God is amazing. He will come through. And I want to ask you to think about what you've been thinking about. What have you been thinking about? is Is it surrounded by all this negative stuff? What God didn't do? What happened to me when I trusted God? You know, what's going on inside of me? The sons of Korah said, what, what's, why, am I think, why am I feeling and thinking this way? Begin to take it to God. He can free your mind from the pollution that the world, our experiences, the enemy can bring in. He can give you a hope for the future. He's a good God. I want to just ask you to do something bold right here now as I close for you, close in prayer. Would you, if you're willing, this, this, if it's too weird for you, just don't do it. It's okay. But would you put your hand on your head? We're just, I just want to pray for your mind and the thoughts that uh, we entertain. We just want to give them to God. Right now, Father, Lord, even as we, just, we, we, lay, we put our hands on our head, symbolizing this place, this source of our thinking that determines really our reality, and God, admittedly, we've had negative thoughts. We've, had, we've entertained thoughts that are not true. We've, we've entertained thoughts that are not from you. We've entertained thoughts that are in opposition to what you say to us. God, and we just give you that. We cast them to you. We say, God, these, would you take them? God, and, and for those who have the, the recorder, the, the record, just keep playing over and over and over again. God, I just, t- I just pray that you remove that, God, that you give them the ability to, Father God, focus on you and not be continually reminded of their past, of their hurts, of their brokenness. But God, that you would bring freedom to the thought life of every person in this room. God, I give you praise right now. We declare that you're good. God, we're going somewhere. You're taking us somewhere. You have a plan for us. God, and we, we know that there's good days ahead. So we give you praise right now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Sign up for a group out there.